Welcome to the Reading for Success podcast, a Success League radio production. This podcast focuses on customer success and leadership books, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not it's worth your time. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, my name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Reading for Success. I'm also the CEO of the Success League, a boutique customer success consulting and training firm based in San Francisco. And I'm very excited to announce that Joan Ryan, the author of Intangibles, is joining me on the show today. Joan, I am excited to talk with you about your latest book on team chemistry. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast. Thanks, Kristen. I'm excited to talk with you. So before we get started, um, would you be able to share a little bit on your background with our audience for those who haven't yet purchased your book? Sure. Born in the Bronx, grew up in New Jersey, then in Florida, went to high school and college in Florida. Always wanted to be a journalist. I never expected I'd be a sports journalist, (laughs) but I majored in journalism in college. And um, my first job at the Orlando Sentinel uh, in Florida, I was working as a copy editor and thought, well, if I'm ever going to be running this newspaper someday, (laughs) I better get some writing experience. And so um, I always thought the best writing in sport in in uh, newspapers was in the sports section. Some of the worst writing is also in the sports section. <laughs> and I thought it'd be a really fun place to learn how to write well, and it sure worked out that way for me. I I loved it right from the start and stayed in it for gosh almost twenty five years. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love that it wasn't because you were really a sports person. I'll I'll have to admit, (laughs) I am not a sports person, but I loved your book, even though it's all about mostly baseball with a lot of um, science thrown in. Um, Yeah, it's it's really great. And so I, I don't think you have to be a sports fan to really appreciate this book, but you'll appreciate the sports if you read it. And I appreciate baseball a lot more after having read your book. I'm so, so glad. And, and you know, that's what I hoped, that there's something quite universal yeah. about team chemistry. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that on the podcast. Yeah. Well, let me start with this. What made you decide to write this book on team chemistry? It looks like it was kind of a labor of love for about a decade. <laughs> it was. It wasn't all, that, all, all a lot of fun when it takes you that long to write a book. But I also wrote another book during that time. So okay. just to make myself not look like such a loser. <laughs> But um, actually, it happened on a single evening. It was the reunion of the 1989 Giants that went to the World Series against uh, the Oakland A's. And those of us old enough to be alive in 1989 and and cognizant, it was the Earthquake World Series. Okay. um, Where the earthquake happened right, uh, right before Game 3. But anyway, I loved that team. I was in San Francisco by that time, writing sports as a sports columnist. Oh, one of the things that really drew me and kept me in sports for as long as I stayed was that sense of relationship among Mm -hmm. teams. And especially I covered mostly male teams, as all of us did, because there weren't many professional women's teams. Right. So... I always loved that part of it. And, you know, then the book Moneyball, Michael Lewis's book came out about analytics and all of a sudden, you know, certainly in baseball and and really in all the major sports, you know, front offices were just chock full of what 
Giants former manager Bruce Bochy called propeller heads. Yeah. <laughs> and everything was about analytics and it was all about the numbers. And I still, and I loved Moneyball, thought it was really well done, mm -hmm. all in on analytics. And yet there was something else going on in a clubhouse that had, quote, good team chemistry. And so 1989, 20-year reunion, I'm walking through the tent of all these players I just fell in love with when I was a young sports columnist. And you could see it in their faces and hear it in their voices. They still loved each other 20 years later, and they kept talking about chemistry. And on the way home that night, I just thought, you know, with all deference to Moneyball, there was something palpable in that room. And I just got curious about it. Yeah. And wanted to find out, well, does team chemistry actually exist? If it exists, what is it? Yeah. And then how does it affect performance? Because why should we even talk about it unless it affects performance? Yeah. So that kind of that thing beyond the numbers was what you were looking for. Totally. And, and, yeah. and it felt, even though I, I titled the eventual book Intangibles, uh -huh. it felt tangible. Yeah. This chemistry felt quite tangible. And so I kind of started out on this intellectual journey. Uh -huh. of figuring out, well, what is this? And ended up reading, you know, 30 different books from, you know, all, all fields and interviewing 200, you know, 150, 200 people on this just to get to get, try to get my arms around it. Yeah. For the people in our audience who've been listening to me for a while, they know that one of my favorite things is well-researched books and your <laughs> book is incredibly well-researched. <laughs> um, I love that about it. Tell me, who who was your intended audience for this book? Did you kind of go into it with an intended audience or did you just get curious and start writing? You know, Kristen, I did not have an intended audience because I also wasn't really believing that it would become a book. Okay. It was just one step after another after another. And at that time, I was working as a media consultant for the San Francisco Giants. And so basically my office was the Giants clubhouse. And it was at the time that they went on to win three World Series championships. Yeah. With three very different, you know, fairly different teams, different people on the teams. And each team had, a, had you know, a bit of a twist on what team chemistry looked like. And so I was, I was very, very lucky to be, you know, on the inside rather as a journalist being on the outside, looking in and taking some guesses about what was going on in the clubhouse. Yeah. So, you know, eventually, you know, I went from, as you mentioned, following my curiosity to really understanding, oh my God, this is a book mm -hmm. and I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I was obsessed. And so then, you know, the audience first and foremost was the sports community yeah, because that's what the book was about. And then clearly, just as Moneyball was as relevant to business as it was to sports, and almost every sports book is relevant yeah. to business. So it was a business book. And then ultimately, my audience was all of us. Because yeah. to study team chemistry really is to study human nature. Yeah, And that turned out to be really what I was chasing, what I was trying to get to. And that's truly what makes team chemistry so fascinating. 
Yeah, and it, it makes it so universal. I mean, it, it's families. And I love I love the first chapter, actually, where you get into the studies on the babies in the orphanages that were, you know, neglected and just died of failure to thrive and how they started to study what was going on there. And I, I mean, and that's just so far removed from sports. <laughs> so, so far removed from sports. <laughs> and also, you know, I, I write about in that first chapter, too, about my own parents. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother died unexpectedly in, in January of whatever year it was. Um, she died very unexpectedly in January. And nine months later, my father died as well when he really Mm -hmm. had nothing wrong with him. And just Mm -hmm. like those orphans in the, you know, last centuries, turn of the century, they died because they were, not held, not cooed over, not talked. They, there was no, yeah. you know, connection, physical yeah. connection. And they died, as my father did, of failure to thrive. We need each other yeah. to, thrive, to thrive and survive. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And you have so much cool brain science and so many studies woven through this book alongside the really exciting baseball story. <laughs> so <laughs> I just have to tell you one thing. We moved to San Francisco from Seattle in 2010 and my daughter was a kindergartner. And so this was the first time that she had been around the excitement of a team winning, you know, World Series. And then they proceeded to win like every other year after that for a few years. <laughs> and so <laughs> at one point I remember my daughter saying, well, they just they win every other year. Yeah. Every <laughs> so, even year. Yeah. 2010, 2012. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's know. exactly how it works. Coming from Seattle, that's not how it works. <laughs> so, no. Well, I yeah. hope your daughter is still a Giants fan. She is a Giants fan. Good. Yes. yes. She goes to school in the city. So she's, she's nice. definitely a fan. So tell me, what were your biggest takeaways that you were hoping your readers would pull from your book? Well, the biggest thing I hope the readers take is the profound and physiological influence we humans have on one another every minute of every day. And one of my favorite experiences in doing all the interviews that I did was with a psychotherapist slash neuroscientist named Thomas Lewis. When I went to talk to him. He was the first person who really introduced this phenomenon to me about how our brains work in explaining how profoundly we influence one another. He said, you know, are there times where, you know, you just feel funnier when you're with certain people or you feel sharper? And I said, oh yeah, you know, are they just bringing something out in me that's always been there? And and then somebody taps it and he says, well, not really. He said, There is no you in the way you think there is. There's only you in connection, in relationship, meaning that when we're interacting with each other, we create something. We're not Uh just tapping into what's already there. The way our brains work, we create this new type of thing. So who I am or Kristen, who you are talking to me is slightly different than who you are maybe talking to Russell 
is uh, also on this Zoom doing all the the hard work. (laughs) Um, Or who, you know, I'm talking to my siblings or I'm talking to my boss. I'm a different Joan in each one of those interactions. And now why is that? Because our brains, over 3 million years, our brains evolved to get larger and larger and larger. We have the largest brains, you know, of, of any mammal um, in relation to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, what was filling that growth of this brain? It wasn't our intellectual wiring. You know, we had that. What was growing was our social wiring because social wiring, how we interact with each other is what kept us alive. We are tribal beings. Yeah. And tribalism is our most deeply rooted human behavior. And we became experts and we still are experts at signaling to each other, reading every twitch of somebody's facial muscles, their tone of voice, their body language. We're just picking up on all of that every second and then recalibrating our own facial muscles, our own body language, our own tone of voice back to the person that we're interacting. And it's just this this dance of human behavior that allows each of us to understand not only what that person is feeling, but almost what their intention is, what their thinking is all about. We see it all and we influence each other in every interaction. So think about a clubhouse, think about any group. And it's just like, I think of it like a ping pong game. You know, there's, there's all of these signals, you know, bouncing from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, and creating what becomes a culture of that particular group. Yeah. Okay. So I have a follow-up question on that (laughs) because of COVID. A lot of us now are having interactions that aren't so personal or face-to-face. And I know a lot of the early part of your book is about human touch and interaction. How do you think that, you know, and a lot of businesses, I guess, are not really planning to go back to -to face-to-face work or re-enter office spaces. What do you think the impact of that will be? I don't think it's positive. (laughs) I, I don't. I think that there are a lot of upsides to remote working like you and I, Kristen, we're yeah. seeing each other, you know, yeah. even though this is an audio podcast, we're actually on Zoom. We're actually on Zoom, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm getting to see Kristen, which really helps me mm-hmm. actually in interacting. Um, so I think some of the positives are that sometimes if you're, let's say you're having a meeting, a business meeting, and there's, you know, I'm making it up a dozen people on there and, yeah. you know, you're the boss and you're talking to everybody. I think sometimes you as an employee might feel more seen Uh doing Zoom than you ever did in the office because your boss boss may not be interacting with you where everybody is sitting there and we're facing each other. And Mm -hmm. guess what? I get a little glimpse, Kristen, of your office that you're sitting in. Yeah. Now you don't have any little stuffed animals or anything around, but if you did, or if you had some, you know, big, uh, you know, poster of the Rolling yeah. Stones or something, yeah. like I get a little glimpse into your life, yep. which I never would if we only see each other in the office. Yeah. So I guess that's the positive side. That's the positive side. Now the negative yeah. side is that there's no happenstance. 
I don't get to, you know, on my way to get another cup of coffee, I run into Kristen mm-hmm. and I say, God, I'm just, th- I'm trying to think of this thing. I'm really struggling in this one thing. Can I run something by you? But yeah. I'm not going to arrange a zoom with you to say, Hey, you know what? I'm just thinking <laughs> yeah. about this thing and I'm going to interrupt her entire day. Right. Right. So you don't get that and you don't get the physicality, you know, I'm mm-hmm. being, you know, in, in actual physical presence of you where I can pick up on a lot more signals yeah. than I can just in this, you know, sort of one dimensional uh, space. Yeah. So it- I think in the long haul, we need people around us to stir our emotions and lift our motivation, all of those things, which I think are really difficult to do over Zoom. Yeah. I know I've talked to a few people that are trying to come up with interesting technologies to sort of help with this and help it feel more engaging and more like real life. But I don't know that technology can 100% solve this one. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Um, I wanted to share one of my biggest takeaways with you from the book. It was that team chemistry doesn't last forever. I think in many of your stories, there was sort of elevated performance for a time on a team, and then it dropped off because of changes in team dynamics or in individual situations. And in thinking about some of my own favorite teams that I've led, that really resonated with me. I think great team chemistry is so fun while you're in the middle of it. It's really exciting and dynamic, but it never seems to last. And I think your book really helped me understand that that's normal and that we should appreciate the amazing teams that we get to have while we're a part of them. So, Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's a a really good insight. I think that culture can stay and, you know, so the difference between culture, which is a set of values and principles mm-hmm. that are developed and team chemistry, uh-huh. and you're absolutely right. You know, people think, you know, somebody wins the, you know, a team wins the World Series or the Super Bowl and you're thinking, oh, OK, the same people are coming back next year. It should be the same team chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> and it isn't because they're not the same people. You know, yeah. once you win or you lose horribly you are changed by the experience of that season. So when you return for the next season, there are enough people who are quite different from what they were that it alters the team chemistry. And it's not to say that it's worse team chemistry. It might be be better. It could be better. It's just different, Mm -hmm. a different team chemistry. And that's where leaders are so crucial. They have to be so in tune to what's going on, what is the relationship dynamic mm-hmm. of what's happening and to understand when you need to step in and tend the garden. You know, you can't walk away for a month and come back and think all your no. flowers are going to bloom, right? <laughs> no. It is like relentless tending of a team to keep that team chemistry really as strong as you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that point really stood out through a lot of the book. This is more of an author question than a content question. What were your favorite parts of the book to write? You know what? I think the favorite part of my book to write for a lot of different reasons was the chapter on Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent. Uh-huh. And for those who aren't baseball fans, um, I mean, most of us know who Barry Bonds is. You've heard of him. He was the home run king. Mm-hmm you know, one of the base headers in, in baseball, but really, really difficult. 
you know, not a warm and fuzzy guy. And then the Giants, and this was in the 1990s, early 2000s, and then the Giants brought in to add to this really difficult person, uh, Jeff Kent, who was a really difficult person. <laughs> and so you had two, both of whom landed on Bleacher Reports, you know, 20 worst teammates of all time. And now wow. the Giants had two of them. Yeah. Think, That's a disaster ready, waiting to happen. And um, when I looked into it, it's like, well, actually, it wasn't a disaster. What I came away with and getting back to one of your takeaways is that they had terrible chemistry in the clubhouse. They hated each other. They fought in the dugout, you know, when the cameras were rolling, really hated each other. Uh, so they had no chemistry on the field. No two players had better chemistry because their values and principles when it came to playing baseball were exactly lined up. They honed their craft. They were totally committed to their craft. They would do anything to get an edge on winning. So they had nothing but respect for each other on the field. So they had what I ended up calling task chemistry. Mm -hmm. And that was an aha moment to me that chemistry can take many forms. Yeah. And that just because you don't like your colleague at work doesn't mean you can't have really great task chemistry and lift each other's performance. And that with, that's what those two guys did. They were great players and they were even better when they were both on the same team. So what made you like writing about that? I loved that I was able to crack them because <laughs> those yeah. guys didn't talk to the press hardly at all. They were really grouches. They were... So it took me a year, literally, of meeting with Bonds, you know, because I was in the clubhouse at the Giants yeah. during this whole time. And Bonds, you know, retired, um, but he had started to come back to the team, you know, to kind of sort of, you know, give a little coaching to the players here and there, do some sponsorship appearances. So he'd be, you know, around. And I took the opportunity. He'd, blew me off, blew me off. How much was I going to pay him to interview him? And I said, I'll pay you exactly what I paid everybody else, which is nothing. And he eventually over time, we'd have these very personal conversations. And I saw him transform within these conversations from Barry Bonds to a guy named Barry. Uh -huh. And he finally agreed to sit down with me. And we sat for three hours. Oh, wow. Um, during the official interview. And then there was a lot of unofficial interviews where I just got to know him and, yeah. and a very complex guy. And I came away with a very different understanding of who this person is. And we continue to stay in touch. Oh, that's to amazing. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really exciting. It, it really was. And, and it was such a lesson to me of how little we know about other human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, we see their outsides and think we understand their insides and we don't. Yeah. Joan, what are you working on next? Well, I'm doing a lot of speaking. Okay. Um, and that's been really fun. I mean, it's really a skill that was much more difficult than I thought it would be. <laughs> so I have um, been working with a coach Okay. On that. And it's been really cool to, you know, go talk to everyone from Ford Motor Company to um, this. The latest one I did was 
the, what is it? The Sheet Metal and Air Conditioning Contractors National Association Conference. Whoa. Yeah. I Mallory. would not have even known that was a thing. I know. And they were just this <laughs> great group of people and I had a, bl- a blast. And so that's been, that's been really exciting to learn a new skill and to be exposed to all these different kinds of groups. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Joan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, if someone wanted to reach out and get in touch with you or, you know, try to book you to speak somewhere, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? The best way is my email, which is Joan Ryan and the okay. number one okay. at gmail.com. Great. Thank you again, Joan. Thanks also to our producer, Russell Bourne, and our audio expert, Nico Rivers. This podcast is a production of Success League Radio. To learn more about the Success League's consulting and training offerings, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io. For more great customer success content, follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. You can subscribe to Success League Radio on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.